Welcome to the 339th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with author Eric Pruitt, novelist and author of the short story collection, Townies and Other Stories of Southern Mischief. Stay tuned for the interview. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Eric Pruitt, author of the novels Dirtbags, Hashtag, and What We Reckon. His short fiction has appeared in the Avalon Literary Review, Thug Lit, Pulp Modern, and Zimble, among others. And in 2014, he was a finalist for a Derringer Award. Many of his short stories are collected in Townies and Other Tales of Southern Mischief, a short story collection. Eric is also involved in film and writing several movies. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Sure. If someone listening hasn't heard about What We Reckon, your most recent novel, how would you describe the novel? Uh, it's about two grifters who sneak into Lufkin, Texas at the dead of night with a King James Bible stuffed full of a kilo of cocaine. They got to get rid of it before the cops catch on to them and before they turn on each other. <laughs> so do you remember the original idea that led you to write What We Reckon? I mean, that was pretty much it. I was friends with somebody um, back when I lived in East Texas who was challenging, to say the least. And every um, every business endeavor we tried to go on, we kept self sabotaging each other. Um, so it was just uh, it was just a fun exploration into that relationship and also the culture of East Texas, which is pretty different uh, on its own. So I'm taking it that you're familiar with Joe Lansdale, who's written a lot about East Texas. Oh, absolutely. Joe Lansdale is like a hero of mine. Um, <laughs> I think he first popped on my re- – well, like I lived in East Texas. We'd always heard about him and seen some of his stories back when I lived there. But, of course, Bubba Hotep blasted him onto my radar. Um, you know, the Happen Leonard novels. Uh, the guy's been great. He, I was fortunate enough to have him blurb what we reckon. So my copy, which I'm looking at right now, Joe, Joe Lansdale has a blurb on the front of it, which just blew my little mind. <laughs> so how do ideas usually come to you? Is it an image or a character or do you find your ideas when you're at your computer writing? Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I figure you got to go out and live stuff. And then, um, you know, just, I always look at writing as like, um, trying to convey 
the knowledge and experience I have gained, whether I've got to go out and research through living or whether I've got to go to like the library and old newspapers to research. But I usually look at it as me trying to convey my knowledge on a particular subject in a way that hopefully will make the audience want to turn the page quickly. And so what are your earliest memories of (coughs) reading in books? Oh, Choose Your Own Adventure was huge. When I was a kid, um, Judy Bloom, I love Judy Bloom. I still have a copy of the book I loved the most when I was a kid. It was called, um, it was Ellen Conford's, um, oh man, uh, Lenny the Smart Alec. Um, it was about a kid who wanted to be a stand up comedian, but he had a bully. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I was one of those kids who would get the, you know, little scholastic book order forms and get like, if you got three books, you had a, you could get a free poster. I, I had just tons of those posters when I was a kid. So the book, uh, the book order jobs were big things for me when a kid. I was a big reader. I was a nerd. So what was the path to publication for you to writing and publishing your first short stories? Had you always wanted to be a writer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was a tough deal. Like back in the, back in the nineties when, I was really getting started. I was sending things off. You used to have those big old books, the the writer's market, you know, the writer's guide to the market or whatever it was called. It's just a big old thick book. And you would write your story and send it in by the mail, you know, like back when you had to get a stamp and a self-addressed envelope uh, and send that off. And they'd say, you can't send this to anybody else. You only got to send it to us. And we take three to six months to decide if we like it or not. And we may not tell you if we are going to publish it or not, you know? Uh, so you would be sitting there for six months, just watching the mailbox, hoping. So, and of course that, uh, that wasn't a sustainable thing. So I kind of put it on hold for a little while. Well, when the internet comes along, now it's a much quicker process. You can find out within, you know, hours to a week or two, if someone wants to publish it or not. So it just became a lot more, it came a lot easier to do. And so as you worked on getting your first short stories and novels published, was there any specific writing challenges that you had to overcome or figure out, whether it be characterization, plotting, dialogue, et cetera? Um, Well, the biggest one was to remember to make it interesting. You know, like I said, you like to have, I like to research and I like to really look into something. And then it just becomes a trick after that to try to put everything I've been researching down into this book. Um, when, you know, sometimes you got to re- you got to think of what stuff to just kind of kick to the side so that you can keep it interesting. You don't want people falling asleep. I have a big sign right in front of me that says, you know, uh, don't, you know, never let the truth get in the way of telling a good story. Um, so that that's very, very important to me. So what was the transition for you like from writing short stories to writing your first novel? Ooh, it was it was easy and I thought it helped because in short stories, you know, when you're trying to write to a particular market, they tell you, you know, keep it. We, we're, we're accepting something with a maximum of 3000 words or we're accepting something with a maximum of 5000 words. Um, and so that forces you to really get, become concise. Maybe it's taking you 8000 words to tell the story. Well, if the market wants 3000 words, they're not going to accept 3001 words. You have to go through and figure out what's important and what's not. So when I finally was going to take on this novel that I was trying to write, I mean, I was just cutting stuff right and left because, you know, I had been trained to try and keep things trim. 
by writing short stories. So I still look back. A lot of times when people ask me, they're like, what's your favorite book that you've written? What book should I get? I always think Dirtbags because I was lean and mean. You know, there was no fat on that thing. Uh, the more and more books you write, the more and more people will just kind of understand, hey, you know what you're doing, and they'll give you more leeway. So therefore, you're allowed to kind of put a little bit more fat on the bone. But Dirtbags, I mean, I got that in in 70,000 words. And um, I just felt like there's there's no fat whatsoever. There's nothing you cut. And so what led to you uh, getting a publishing deal for Dirtbags? Man, that's a funny story. Um, I queried that book every day. You know, every day I would wake up. And if there was not a rejection letter in my inbox, then I hadn't done my work that day. You know, and there's somewhere down the line, I, I didn't I hadn't queried enough. So it got to, it's like six months of me just getting nothing but, uh, you know, at least one rejection a day when I woke up and uh, bringing it back to Joe Lansdale. Joe Lansdale actually blurbed a book from this one small publishing company called Immortal Inc. Limited, a guy named Will Millar's book. Will met Joe at a convention and gave him a copy of his book and Joe read it on the airplane back. And when he landed, he was like, this is a great book. I follow Joe on social media. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, I've never heard of this publishing company. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to query them. And I queried them. And, you know, a few, a month or so later, they wrote me back and said, we love it. We'd like to take it. And I, I stared at that email for a long time. Like I was just ready to automatically, you know, put it in the reject bin, uh, but was blown away that someone would take it. They turned out to be, um, like, uh, uh, a paranormal romance ebook, you know, company. But I guess like the publisher had a few drinks that day and was like, ah, I want to go off on some horror and crime and stuff like that. And, and, uh, so he was this, this one guy that's part of like this three person deal was like, uh, Hey, I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to do more serious stuff. And so he's taking a chance on me. And of course, Mr. Millar and, uh, and kaboom. They, uh, you know, I, uh, the only thing I put in my contract was like, Hey, I, I know you guys just do eBooks. I'd like a print version, but I don't think it counts as a real book unless it's in the library. So, um, they, they agreed to do that and they had a really aggressive marketing campaign and we got it out in front of people. Great. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you've worked in film as well. In 2011, you wrote and produced the short movie foodie. How has working in film impacted or informed your fiction writing? It's, uh, you know, working in film, you know, especially like these short films where you go to a lot of festivals where you get to watch audiences, you know, see them, you know, there's no, you want, you want the audience to react. I mean, that's like, that's like a drug on its own. When an audience reacts to something you've done and you can watch it in real time. And really the only reactions they're going to have that are going to pay off are laughter and like that gasp when you've shocked them or grossed them out, or even even in one case, like with Foodie, when someone walks out of the theater, that's 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 the great. <laughs> um, so that you know, I was I was doing film before I was actively publishing, and so that that instinct to try and make people laugh or try to make people gasp, I think, is just kind of always stuck in there. You know, you become kind of like, you know, to, to, you know, I apologize for the phrase, but like a horror to the audience. You really want to please the audience. And it's the only, it's, it's the carrot that kind of keeps you going. And so given your three novels and, and many short stories, 
What writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels and would like to get them published? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Just get all the way down to the end, man. Just finish that thing. You get part way through and you're like, I don't know, man. This doesn't, this isn't, this isn't working out. I don't like, just finish it. You don't know what you got until you're done. You know, you don't know if it's a piece of shit or if it's like something that's like really good that can be chiseled down and made into something nice until you get to the end. Um, so I always have to remind myself of that as well all the time is just get to the end and then you'll know what you got. And so what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I am rereading the Tana French novels. She's a master. Um, so I, I read them once before. I just, I just drank them all up. And right now I'm, I'm going right back through them. I just read um, Station Eleven because since we're in the middle of this fun with, with COVID, um, I have been reading a lot of um, pandemic books, so like The Plague by Albert Camus, but Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel has blown my little mind. And then uh, my good buddy, Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby, his Blacktop Wasteland is coming out July 14th. So uh, I've, I was lucky enough to get an advanced reader copy of that, and I can't wait for the rest of the world to see this damn thing. Great. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your fiction and films? I'm on, I mean, I'm on all the social media, like, uh, well, all the ones I know of, uh, uh, I heard about the TikTok. I don't know much about that, but like I'm on, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, at Reverend Eric. And of course I'm spelled E R Y K. And my website, which I swear I'm going to update soon is, uh, www.com. EricPruitt.com, and that's E-R-Y-K-P-R-U-I-T-T. I've got a YouTube and a Vimeo, too, of some of the films, but a lot of the films are on the web, on the website. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Eric Pruitt, author of the novels Dirtbags, Hashtag, and What We Reckon, and the short story collection Townies and Other Tales of Southern Mischief. His books are available now, so go buy a copy. And Eric, thanks for doing this interview. Man, thank you very much, Jeff. Great. Thanks a lot. Now stay tuned as Eric reads from his novel, Dirt Bags. The first time she'd done it was to bury her daddy. There may have been other ways to go about it, but Rhonda McCloster didn't have the means, or more importantly, the wherewithal. Old Joe Byron wouldn't put her daddy in a box or in the ground unless she paid up first, as nobody in her family line had ever done a lick towards stringing two pennies together. Byron didn't fancy Rhonda to be the first. The bank didn't help either. 
Her daddy mortgaged everything a time or two more than necessary, and with him gone, it wouldn't be long before she was out on her ear. She asked friends or what passed for friends, but didn't have none who would or could lend her what she needed to bury him proper. Only one man in town had that kind of money and would bother with the likes of her. She packed up what she had and headed out to Bubba Green's. Bubba owned Club 809. It got its name because the only way to get to it was to head way up Highway 809 out of town. Before, there wasn't much chance to drink on account of the county being dry since Prohibition. But Bubba knew how to nurse a need, and that's what Rhonda counted on. He's a big fella. Not in size or stature, but rough. Well built. He had the hands and arms of a man carved out by hard times, even though those days were long in the rear view. But he had a soft spot for women in need. His business wouldn't be what it was if it weren't for women in need. I'm real sorry to hear about your daddy, he said. He led her into the club, nothing more than a converted double-wide trailer hidden down a dirt road. To see it in daytime felt foreign, awkward, as if looking at a landscape with one eye instead of two. Brutal was something else, and I'm going to miss him. Thank you, Mr. Green, she said. Bubba, he said. Everybody calls me Bubba. I don't have enough money to bury my daddy, she said. A jukebox's lights whirled and rotated, and she ignored its pleas to be played. I got to do it right away, it seems. They won't let you run it on a credit? No, sir, she said. They said they won't loan no McCloster money no more. They don't care that I'm the last one, it seems. So you got no other family. His eyes, despite his reputation and occupation, had a soft kindness set against his face, weathered and cracked. He put a hand to her knee. You ain't got no boyfriend? No, sir. She shook her head. I ain't got nobody. Well, I reckon we can work something out. He rubbed his hand up and down her knee, then removed it. For brutal. Rhonda pinned a picture of her daddy to the corner of a mirror in her dressing room, beneath the lights. It had once been a bedroom in the double wide, but now girls slipped into their skibbies and put on makeup and did all sorts of things ready to get, to get ready to dance. Some nights were harder than others, but when she stepped into the back, the first thing she laid eyes on was the daddy, and that made things all the better. The day they put him into the ground, Bubba stood at her side. The only the only other folks before that hole was the preacher man and two ladies from the church. Rhonda wore a black skirt she borrowed from one of the girls at the club. She was most grateful for the sunglasses. One of the women from the church looked at and didn't look away. That's a mighty fine box you picked out, said Bubba. You picked it, she said. The one I picked wasn't so fancy. A man like Brutal lived frugal enough in this world, Bubba explained. It's good of us to send him out with a touch of class and style. Rhonda wanted to remind him it was her paying for the box and not him. Such was the things in the burial business. You pay for the box, the hole, and the preacher man. Folks like the McCloster's reckoned themselves just fine dug into the side of a creek bed somewhere, but a mess of laws prevented people from doing just that. You pay for those laws as well. The preacher finished his business and went on his way, taking with him the two ladies. Bubba stayed a while and gave her a nudge. You see them men on the ridge over there? He pointed to a pair of Mexicans with shovels. They're going to want us to be on our way. They got work to tend after. Tell them they can tend after it for all I care. Well, they prefer to work when ain't nobody looking. Don't we all? Bubba smiled. Normally folks didn't offer him much sass. He put a hand to her back and rubbed it soft, then stepped over the ridge to have a word with the Mexicans. She saw him give some money to him and wondered if she'd be working that off as well. After a bit, he rejoined her at the hole. Come back in an hour, he said. You stay as long as you like. 
Come four o'clock, they're filling in that hole whether you're here or not. I understand, she said. Good, because you got to be at the club by five. They left her there at the hole. That night, she got into the liquor. The 809 didn't stock quite the supply it used to back in the day when people came just to drink. Most folks brought their own. Rhonda made it a point to make friends with those that had a bottle and let some get a bit grabbier during the private dances in exchange for a shot here and there. This made her one of the more popular dances until Bubba caught wind. Next guy she pulled into the back room for the dance brought gin, and they just tapped into it when Bubba interrupted him. I catch you getting one of my girls liquored up again. I'll take you out back, you hear? Branch Gilmer didn't need any more convincing. He grabbed his bottle and hightailed it out of the private room and, for good measure, on out of the club and down to the 809 somewhere safe. Rhonda weren't as lucky. Come with me, he grunted. He took her by the arm and led her to the back room. The folks who built the trailer intended for it to be a master bedroom, but Bubba used it for an office. Big desk, bed behind some oriental curtains, half-empty liquor cabinet, guns. Bubba could hold up in the 809 in case, for a week in case of a standoff. He sat her down on a chair in front of his desk. He lighted a cigar and stood next to his chair as if he intended to sit, but thought otherwise for the time being. I'm real sorry, Bubba, Rhonda said. I thought you... He held up a hand. That's all he had to do. His wrist, was, his wrist was like a twisted mess of steel and pipe, all coming together in a hand as wretched, time-worn, leathery, and mean. She'd heard stories. What demise had those hands wrought? Tell me you don't think that now with Brutal in the ground you don't owe me nothing. She opened her mind, mouth but divined nothing worth saying. He didn't wait for an answer. Tell me you don't think the money you still owe me has got to be paid back correctly. She closed her mouth. It's the best decision she could make. I understand you being a little upset and all, especially after you just put your daddy in a hole this afternoon, but let's be perfectly clear. Brutal's gone. You hear me? He's gone and he ain't coming back. You know what that means? She slowly shook her head. Outside, the music bumped and thumped. A girl named Cinnamon would be dancing. Normally, Rhonda would be up next. She didn't think it wise to mention that now. She thought it smarter to let Bubba do all the talking. That means I'm your daddy now. You hear me? He puffed on the cigar and gently laid it to the edge of the ashtray. Tell me you understand. Rhonda nodded slowly. Good. Bubba stepped away from his chair, rounded the desk. He took Rhonda by the arm almost by it, as if by intuition or instinct. She rose slowly as his gentle arm seemed to impel her to do. She stood and awaited further instruction. Bubba came around behind her and put both his hands on her shoulders. He leaned close to her ear. I want you to say it. Say what? Her voice quivered and barely managed above a whisper. His grip on her shoulders tightened. I'm your daddy now. Something inside her throat cracked. She reached a hand behind her and found his thigh. She felt him through his coarse, rough blue jeans. At that moment, she realized something. After getting her daddy in the ground, she could be anything she wanted, anything at all, except alone. That warmed her insides and froze them solid at all the same time. She pulled him by the thigh closer into her back. You're my daddy now. They hadn't been finished for longer than a couple minutes when Cinnamon came knocking on the door. She knocked, hollered, and knocked some more while Bubba gave some Rhonda time to compose herself. He put his feet, dirty boots and all, up on the desk. He hollered for Cinnamon to come on in, doors open. We need her out here, Cinnamon said. There's a birthday boy and us girls got to do a train. We can't do a train with just two girls. I reckon you're right about that, Bubba said. 
He looked at Rhonda, still keeping it together. You up for it? Rhonda nodded. She feared if she said anything, everything would come rushing forth in such a storm that neither she nor Bubba nor all the winds of God in heaven could stop. She stared at the carpet. Get on out there, he said. She didn't wait. She was up and out the door, feeling every bit of Bubba drip out of her and down her leg as she went. She cursed and hated herself and went to the dressing room to fix herself up for the birthday boy. First thing she saw, as always, was her daddy. Her daddy, Brutal McCloster, staring at her and smiling. She ripped a picture from the mirror and dropped it in the wastebasket. She reckoned she'd do it many more times in life. She reckoned she'd have her share, perhaps more than most. After that night, she reckoned the reason she'd see it to it would span well beyond her own comprehension. But that first time, she'd done it to bury her daddy. After that, it'd always be for something altogether different. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.